Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt with you today, not alongside Kevin Krosky. We've given him the day off, and instead we have certified financial planner with True Wealth Design, Tyler Emmerich, part of the great team that serves you in Northeast Ohio. But of course, the entire team at True Wealth Design can serve you literally wherever you live, as this podcast you can obviously listen to anywhere and everywhere. But they do have office locations in Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area as well. And we've got a great show on the way today. Before we preview all of it, uh, Tyler, it is great to have you back on the show with us. How you been lately? Uh, I've been doing great. I'm happy to be here, Walter. Just recovering from a long weekend. I think Kevin threw me into the fire here saying, hey, do your first solo podcast um, right after you have a big birthday party for your two little daughters. Oh, nice. (laughs) How was the the party? Did it have a theme or what what, did you guys go for? No theme per se, but I have two little girls. Uh, the oldest is uh, three, or just turned three on the 22nd here just a few days ago, and the youngest just turned one. So we had a house full of um, kids running around. It was exciting, cake and all that good stuff, but boy, was it exhausting. <laughs> so I, I think You I'm don't need a recovery. theme at that age, right? Just there's There's enough chaos without introducing some sort of theme into it with kids at that age, right? Yes, yes, and I was actually... I owe my wife a big shout out. Uh, she had this bright idea of getting a bounce house. And I guess this is the new thing. Oh, um, nice. And I was like, oh, we don't need that. No, no, no. Um, you know, probably my frugality coming out a little bit. But uh, we ended up actually going with it. And it was perfect. I actually don't know how we would have entertained all the kids if we didn't have that. So it's got to be like the perfect invention because it also just like, um, you know, don't the bounce houses usually have walls. So it's like they're all contained. So <laughs> yes, all contained. Everyone was safe no one got hurt um and it didn't rain uh we're up in cleveland so you never know what the weather's going to be like yeah i I think i've seen a few bounce house videos where a storm blew in suddenly and the bounce house goes flying away in the wind and you know sucked (laughs) up into a tornado not with kids in it but you know sure no either way that's like nightmare fuel um i was very happy to see that uh, nothing uh nothing blew away nothing flew away and um you know worked out all right (laughs) Well, glad to hear it, and uh, happy birthday to both of them, and glad that it was a successful weekend, and uh, thanks for taking some time out of your recovery to uh, join us here on the show and uh, give Kevin a week off. I'm looking forward to your topic, so uh, Tyler gave me a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be talking about, and, you know, we live in a culture, Tyler, of mind hacking, you know what I mean? Like life hacks and trying to look for shortcuts and doing more with less. And sometimes those things are, I think, born out of good spirit. But it sounds like your topic today and what you want to really dive into is being a little bit wary of taking some of those mindset shortcuts, being aware of our behavior as it relates to investing, finances, saving, retirement, and that world, and look at some of the places where people can go a little bit too far in the shortcut realm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about kind of uh, why you want to talk about this topic today, and and let's dive in. No, great intro, Walt. Um, That's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, as we look at the agenda for today, you know, taking a look at those mindset shortcuts that we all can fall victim to uh, when making you know financial and investment decisions, and you know I kind of like to think of them as behavioral traps and things that often you know sabotage performance or affect you know those important retirement decisions that we make. And I mean we're all probably guilty of falling victim to these at some point um, in our past or whatever the case may be. 
So I feel like it's very important that we you know, kind of take a look at them, point them out, try to understand them a bit. And that way we can you know, understand when they might be creeping into our decision making and we can better, better avoid them. Now, we have a few of them what we're going to talk about today, and I think two of them are really applicable to your investment decisions. Yeah, Walter, as we sit here today, we're at the end of May. Uh, the markets have been extremely volatile to start out the year. I mean, I think the S&P 500 is down just over 16% year to date. Um, and those safe investments, uh, those bond investments are down just over nine, nine and a half percent. So we're probably getting, or I don't know about you, but I'm getting inundated when I watch the news on some negative headlines, looking at the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks back. And one of the headlines was like, it's the worst bond market since 1842. And that's the good news. <laughs> when, when they start making comparisons back to the Great Depression or World, World War II, that's when, yeah, it starts catching your eyeballs a little bit. Oh, it's been a long time since things have been this bad. We know on this show from from the perspective that you and Kevin have provided before that, you know, you can kind of twist stats to mean whatever you want them to mean. But Mm -hmm. nonetheless, you're living under a rock if you don't at least hear the message these days that things are kind of going, uh, you know, not in the right direction right now. Correct. No, absolutely. And I mean, come on, right? Investing is hard enough. So if there's anything we can do to make it a little bit easier, um, then I'm all for it. And hopefully that's what the listeners will get out of today. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And if it's if you're sure. calling it behavioral traps, it means people are falling in them. So a good goal to try and avoid those. Uh, so yeah, uh, what, what, what are these traps? You got it. So now there obviously our industry, a lot of, you know, acronyms and terminology and things like that. That's very specific. So for those of you that uh, you know, listen to the podcast today and might want to look up some more of these. These terms are called cognitive errors or emotional biases. I think behavioral traps sounds a little bit better, but those are more of the technical terms that you'll find these listed under. And we're going to talk about three of them today. And with the first one, Walter, I just me and you. So it looks like I'm going to have to uh, rope you in here a little bit, right. and we'll have to go through a bit of an exercise. Do, so do I need the, do I need the calculator up? Do I need to be... <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. Okay. But uh, I, I didn't do any prep work for this uh, or set you up, so we'll see how it goes. But um, so with this exercise, what I want you to do is I want you to um, really think about, all right, hey, I'm going to set you up on a scenario and I'm going to give you a choice at the end of it and we'll see which road you take. Okay. Now, so you picture this, you're walking down the street. It's a nice, beautiful day. I mean, really everything is going great, right? Not a care in the world. And you're just walking along and you happen to look down and staring right back at you as a hundred dollar bill. Now, of course, Walter, I know you're very astute. So you, you know, you're checking the bushes to see if there's any kids playing a prank and got it tied to some fishing line. Right. <laughs> um, and, Obviously, I understand that you're going to do everything you can to uh, find out who that $100 bill belongs to. But I promise you in this scenario, there's no kids in the bushes. And this is now your $100 bill because there's no one around, right? Okay. So free money. So my question to you is you have two choices. You can take that $100 and you can go buy, you know, and go get your favorite restaurant, dinner, meal, um, or you can save it. What do you think you would do? I think since I just sort of found it, I would go have fun with it. I'm going to I'm gonna go to the restaurant and have a good meal. All right. Good deal. Fair enough. This, this actually did happen to me just a few weeks ago, by the what? way. 
Yeah, yeah. There was a hundred dollar bill sitting. I was going to the dentist actually, and there was a hundred dollar bill sitting on a little, uh, like a little bistro table outside of mm-hmm. the dentist office in the shopping center. And I looked at, it, I was like, hmm. And I looked at, it, I was like, this kind of looks fake. But you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the dollars sort of look fake these days with all the different changes they've gone through in sure. the last decade or so. So I took it into the doc- into the dentist office and said, I think someone left a hundred dollar bill out here. I don't know if you you know this. And they were like, Yeah, we think it's fake because we've seen a few people. I was like, Okay, mm-hmm. well, I'll put it back out there for the next person. And then we all joked about like waiting for the hidden cameras to come out. So right, it's funny, <laughs> funny that you bring up that scenario. But back to the point, I'm going to the restaurant. That's my choice. Yeah, no, good deal. And 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 really, Walter, you're you're like most individuals. I mean, when we we start analyzing or looking at that decision that you have, whether to spend it or save it, you know, when we start to analyze that decision, you know, the answers or what we're analyzing is what's called behavioral finance, which is really trying to take a look at, well, how does our brain, you know, look at making these decisions on managing our money or investing our money? And most individuals, when they find that $100 bill, are going to treat that as a windfall. Like, hey, I found it. Good fortune. I'm going to go ahead and spend it. And that is the same case for even the most prudent individuals that save their salary and save um, most of the income that they have coming in because they are looking at that or looking at that money that they found as a windfall and not necessarily something that they earned or worked for and have to actually save. Now, this gets to the crux of that first behavioral trap, which is called mental accounting. And as simply put, it just kind of refers to the concept of how people treat money differently depending on where it came from and what we think it should be used for. Now, this is all kind of fine and dandy, but if we start looking at it from more like practical applications and how, you know, when we look at this, how it's going to determine, you know, the decisions that you make in retirement or the day-to-day decisions that you make from an investment standpoint, you you can kind of think about it. We see it a lot with retirees where they're kind of compartmentalizing the different types of savings that they have. And they oftentimes find it much more difficult to save that money that they have in their 401ks and their IRAs that they've built up over the years and much, much easier to spend things like social security or those pension plans that are coming in on a day in and out basis. And you know, maybe another way you can kind of think about it would be, hey, you've done a great job saving. You have a good amount in your savings account. It's not really earning much right now, um, but you might have a car loan out there. Or you have other outstanding debt that have higher interest rate, right? But you still look at that savings account as your nest egg. And you, ha- even though you might have ample saved back, you're very reluctant to use it to kind of pay off that debt, right? Um, and the same, same thing goes when you start looking at that decision on, well, hey, when do I want to take my social security? Do I want to take it early? Do I want to wait? Do I want to take it as soon as I retire? And you start looking at, okay, I'm going to have to use my 401k money if I defer that social security. And, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of mental challenges and hurdles to get over. And it's much, much easier to make that decision to say, you know what, I want to get my social security. It's going to be much, much easier for me to start spending that. Whether it's good decision or bad decision or, you know, whether the, you know, it definitely is a situation where they should defer their social security, that overarching feeling of, ah, I, j- I just want to start it. I want to get it. And I don't want to start, you know, dipping into that nest egg that I worked so hard to get, you know, it really can start to affect some of those decisions, um, especially in the short term. 
Great points all around, I think, and I kind of identify with a lot of the different things that you're talking about there, that that mental accounting. Like um, I had a conversation recently with my dad, uh, it was relatively casual, but about, uh, you know, when when he and mom, you know, pass away eventually, like what, what will happen with their money. And I'm an only child, so they're like, it's pretty obvious, like you're just going to, and he was just kind of very casual, like, you know, you'll get it all, do something good with it. And it's like, oh, well, okay. But already <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I would treat those dollars differently than I would any other dollar. You know, like I'm already assigning some like emotional uh, value Mm -hmm. to them. And so it's kind of interesting to see that play out. And then even from the debt side, you were talking about like you can look Mm -hmm. at maybe credit card debt or, uh, you know, car loan or the mortgage. And like, I don't know, there's different emotional uh, reactions to seeing paying down some of those versus others. And it's not always the most logical financial one that you should pay down first. Like if I see that I can get the mortgage down below like some $100,000 benchmark, it's like, oh, that's going to be emotionally really cool to see that first number go from, you know, I don't know, a three to a two or something like that. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I I agree wholeheartedly. And first off, it's good that you're talking to your family member about that transition of wealth and, uh, you know, kind of looking into it and sharing that to make sure, you know, all parties are, uh, you know, involved and understand how that kind of works. But um, yeah, when you start categorizing or again, doing that mental accounting, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to has to change every decision that you make, but more so having that awareness around it and having the choice or giving yourself the choice to say, you know what, hey, this might be the you know, maximizing decision from a financial standpoint, but emotionally, you know, I'm fine kind of giving up X, Y, or Z. And that's really the point, right? And the awareness of that, hey, we can fall into that and being aware of it will maybe not change our behavior. Some cases it probably will, but if it doesn't, that's okay. Um, But being aware of it so you know what you're giving up or not, I think is extremely, you know, valuable and important. Certainly makes a lot of sense. So uh, that's the the mental accounting aspect. Any more on that one? Or are we ready for another behavioral trend? No, I think we'll go ahead and move okay. on to, to number two. And and no no test here. Probably the way that I'd like to introduce this one or the way I am going to introduce it. We'll see how it goes. Give <laughs> now you, quite now a you bit find $1,000 instead of $100. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> right. What's, what's, that, what's that trade-off look like? Yeah. Um, but so for the next one, Walter, I'd... I'd probably like to bring you in on this one as well and get you to think. And I'm going to probably introduce it just through a very simple, easy question. And I'm going to put you in a scenario in the situation where you have to buy a house right now. I know you might not be looking, but if I told you, hey, you have to move your family and you're going to have to go into a new house, you know, give me a few things that kind of immediately pop into your mind when I tell you you have to do something like that. Ooh, um, when you tell me I have to, I get a little mm-hmm. nervous because uh, of higher interest rates compared to what I was paying and, th- and that mm-hmm. increase. I start thinking a little bit about market timing of like, ooh, housing market's at the top and I don't know if I want to buy at the top. And then I start calculating all the costs. I don't know if we're moving across the country, but I uh, start thinking about storage units and moving trucks and whether you hire movers. And I feel like that stress level sort of, you know, increasing in this scenario as well. And like time is crunching together. I remember from previous moves, like everything starts to move really fast um, when you start thinking about moving and buying and making decisions one after the other and that sort of thing. Walter, perfect answer, or at least you hit every point that I was hoping that you would say. (laughs) It's a good deal. Um, You're you're asking me easier questions than Kevin usually gives me, so this is great. 
Nice, nice. We're gonna that's invite. Good. We're gonna invite you back, Tyler. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah, thing. Easy questions and no egg out alert. That's the. If I can get through those two things in this podcast, I'll, I'll consider it to be success. But um, yeah, so you're right. I mean, I, I think a lot of families in your situation go through that whenever they have to make a big decision, whether it's a big purchase like a house or a big investment decision. Um, you really start that decision can really start to weigh on you. I mean, I think back to about 18 months ago, I had a family that was kind of thrust into that situation that I set up for you where, you know, they actually had a surprise, uh, you know, baby that they're uh, coming on the way completely out of the blue, kind of threw them for a loop. And they really started to prioritize and think about, well, boy, we, our priorities have changed quite a bit um, with the baby on the way. And we're, we're probably going to, or we are going to have to move out of the house that we're in now and start thinking about school districts and start thinking about a little bit more space and all that good stuff that comes along with it. You know, when I had talked to them at that time, even still 18 months ago, a lot of those same concerns were expressed to me that you expressed today, right? Maybe not the interest rate one, but certainly where housing prices were going up and they were wondering, hey, are we buying at the top? Uh, and, you know, how is this, uh, is this going to be the right time for us to kind of make that decision? And I mean, it was an extremely competitive market at that time as well. I mean, there were a lot of people bidding on the same house. And I distinctly remember having a conversation with the husband specifically, and he's like, you know, I just, I just don't want to regret this purchase or regret this decision. And, you know, when you start to think about it that way and you start getting those feelings of regret, uh, you can start really funneling that decision on a lot of the negative. Uh, you can start thinking short term and maybe lose sight of that long term goal and, and, and things that you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, what we call that or that's our next point is uh, called regret aversion. And that's when we basically look at a decision, whether it's an investment or a purchase, and we actually don't make any decision. In their case, they they stopped, they were going to stop putting offers in on houses. They were actually thinking about waiting and going to start up again in a year from when we were talking. And they were just like, you know what, we're just getting discouraged and we're done. And again, there was that fear from for the husband, especially the fear of, ah, is this going to be something I'm going to regret down the road? Am I going to find that perfect house? Um, so they just don't do anything. And in their situation, they actually ended up you know, purchasing a house and we ended up kind of talking through it. And, you know, some of the, you know, things at that time where there were low interest rates and they did need to move and there were major priorities um, that kind of leaned them in that direction. They kind of got refocused and were able to eventually find a house, um, you know, a few months later from the time that we have that conversation. But many, many families, when they go through making these big investment decisions or purchasing decisions can find themselves kind of stuck in the mud, right? And a lot of that can be driven by fear of, you know, not making the right decision. Uh, so they kind of do nothing. Right. Yeah. That, that, I think I've heard that as like paralysis by analysis. Sure. Something in that vein, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and we see it with retirees as well, right? Kind of on the flip side where, you know, they're maybe looking to downsize. They don't need the big space. All the kids are out of the house. Um, they know they want to do it, but there's a lot of memories that were in that house and, you know, that fear of the unknown and, you know, am I really going to be happy in a smaller space, you know, can really weigh heavily when you try to make those decisions. I think from an investment standpoint, you know, kind of moving on from the housing concept, but when you think about a market where it has a lot of volatility or a lot of fluctuations, I hear often that, hey, I haven't even looked at my accounts. Um, I don't want to know how much I'm down. And, you know, when we start making those decisions, yes, if not looking at your account is part of your investment 
process, right? Hey, I'm not looking at it, but every six months or once a year and making changes then to kind of take the emotion out of it. Hey, that's one thing. But if you're not looking at your accounts because your, you know, fear of seeing that big down or pullback or seeing where the actual balance is, well, then it's, you know, now we're getting or making our decisions based off fear and emotion and not really looking at it from a logical standpoint of, okay, I might be down, but how can I approach my decision on, you know, should these be the investments that I want to continue to hold? And am I in the right place, you know, as I look forward six months or 12 months or 18 months down the road? Great thoughts there, Tyler. Thanks for your perspective on that. By the way, if you have any questions as we go through the show today for Tyler or Kevin or want to talk to a certified financial planner and an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team, you can go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button, and that'll entitle you to a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the team. And you can schedule right from your smartphone or computer. Again, go to truewealthdesign.com, and we'll link to that in the description of today's show to make life easier. Easy on you. We're talking about behavioral preferences, behavioral traps, some of these mindset shortcuts that we often uh, fall victim to in our finances and in our planning for the future. Tyler, some good ones so far. Uh, got another one on the docket? You got it. Yep. We'll move on to the final one here. So, all right, Walter, we'll put you to the test. Final time, I promise. Um, uh, now I find a million dollars. You got it. Um, I don't know if you're going to like this test as much, but we'll see. Okay. So, um, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of an experiment and essentially going to give you the option to either take a bet or not. Okay. And it's based okay. off of a simple game. It's just going to be a coin flip, right? So if I offered you a chance to say, all right, I'm going to flip a coin. If it lands on tails, I'll give you 50 bucks. Or if it lands on heads, you give me a hundred bucks. Hmm. Would you play? I don't really like those <laughs> those odds or the payoff. I had know? to go extreme, Walter. I had yeah. to go extreme because I'm kind of soliciting a specific answer here. I wouldn't mind the game, you know, like if, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind the consequence, but the, the, the benefit doesn't outweigh the consequence, at least on, on my initial reaction. Okay. So let's say we flip it and ratchet up a little bit. Let's okay. say, all right, hey, we'll offer to play the same game, coin flip. All right, you get $200 from me if it lands on tails. If it lands on heads, you pay me $100. Okay, I I feel like I'm falling right into the behavioral trap that you're setting up, but okay, now I'll play. You got it, right? Okay, (laughs) set it up pretty good. I like it. Um, So yes, actually, so that is the experiment. There were two psychologists that, you know, actually proposed this same game to many individuals and they were recording the results and what they found that is that nobody would of course play the game based off this first scenario that I brought up to you, right? The, the odds were in their favor and they didn't see it as a, um, as a benefit to them. But once the payoff got about twice as much in that, so in that last scenario we just talked about, right? Hey, I'd pay you 200, you'd only have to pay me. Then individuals were willing to, you know, potentially have that loss to proceed forward with the bet. Right. The, the odds of losing a hundred dollars didn't change. I still have you the same it. odds that I'll lose a hundred, but at least it's more worth it, uh, worth that risk if I if the payoff is higher, if the ceiling is higher. Absolutely right. So what we call that, or the behavioral trap that I'm you know, bringing up here, is called loss aversion. And what it means is, is essentially we are biased towards avoiding losses over seeking gains. And another way to kind of put that is, is you know, we don't like to lose money, and we don't like to lose it even more than. We like to see our accounts go up and we would like to see those gains. Okay. So makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. I won't feel worse today having not won the 200 or even the 50, but I'll have felt like I had a bad day if I lost the 100. 
I get that. You got it. Now, the way that you can kind of think about this again is, you know, as we start thinking about practical application, right? Well, what are our behaviors that come out from this particular behavior trap? Um, so I think the, the easiest one that I'll start out with to think about is, well, we invest in safe investments or safe products, right? Maybe leaving more in our savings account than what we um, need uh, because we don't want to see volatility or we don't want to take on that perceived risk to get gain, right? All the, even though you know, a major topic in the you know, news today is going to be inflation, it's impacting all of us. So those savings accounts are not keeping pace with inflation. We know they're not, um, but you know, we don't perceive the risk of investing worth it. Right. So we kind of overanalyze and keep that money in savings accounts or even a little bit more than we should. Now, I think it probably the biggest one, which is in, some of us may be going through right now, is essentially holding on to a stock just because it's at a loss. Right. So you think about over the last 10 years, what's really been, you know, good investments or been the highest performers. And they've been these, you know, more expensive, you know, tech stocks. You know, think of your Teslas of the world your Microsofts of the world. And these things have been very good investments for the most part, you know, over the last 10 years. But if we think about since the beginning of this year and the sell-off that the markets had, these things have been, you know, disproportionately hit hard, right? So you might see if you have an individual stock position in Tesla or Microsoft where you're actually down a significant portion, much more than what the market's down uh, year to date. And if you're looking at that stock position, you're saying, ah, I'm going to hold this and just wait for it to come back. I mean, I think Kevin calls this the get even-itis. Mm. Um, and essentially like, you know, I just, I just don't want to take that loss. You know, we can kind of find ourselves making that decision and it's more of an emotional one and not necessarily looking at you know the next 12 months saying from a market standpoint what types of investments do we think are going to do well and is this one it it's more so that you know if i sell this i'm going to realize that loss and i'm going to get out of it right makes sense yeah what did you call that one again Yep. So that one's called or, ke- or the Kevinism. The ke- oh, the Kevinism. Oh, okay. Yeah. So get even itis. Get even itis. Um, okay. Is, is, I like it. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't have to necessarily be from a single stock position either, right? You can think of it from an overall um, portfolio view as well. I mean, I think when we go through volatile times like this, some families can you know find it hard to maybe make change because you know they don't know or they don't want to lock in losses or you know they just don't want to make big changes when we have a lot of volatility in the market. And that's okay as long as you have a plan around that and you feel comfortable with the investments that you have and say, you know what, these are the ones that are going to put me in the best position going forward. It doesn't matter what they have done over the last six months. And yes, I understand they're down, but more so these are where I want my money to be, you know, as I look six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road and you feel comfortable with that, right? Because what's happened in the past, I mean, it's not going to tell us what's going to happen, you know, in the future. So again, taking that emotion out of it, I think can be extremely valuable as you, um, you know, are looking at your investments, whether it be a single stock position or your overall portfolio and making changes as as we see the volatility that we've that we've had, it causes us to really focus on those investments that have lost money, while you know really kind of almost ignoring the ones that um, the other investments inside your account. I, you know, going back you know to you know Kevin and a lot of some of the previous podcasts that he's done. I mean, he's done a lot of work on the investment process that we take here, and you know I I don't, can't remember which podcast it was exactly, but I know he's made some mention of when you look at your portfolio and you go through there should be probably some winners and losers. And if there's not, if you're not happy with at least one investment inside of your account, um, then you're probably under diversified, 
right? And you probably have um, you're too many eggs in the basket per se, and you're not looking and spreading out that risk. Because ideally, when we experience the volatility that we have, we would like to see certainly some positions are going to go down, but some positions will hopefully ask us act as a ballast and kind of offset some of those losses, maybe even be up. So as you look at your portfolio and you look at those investments that you're holding and doing a real deep dive, you'll kind of take that emotion out and don't worry about necessarily locking in losses, but real be more focused on, you know, what's going to happen over the next six months to 12 months and, you know, where do I want to be positioned? Really neat perspective, Tyler. Thank you for kind of detailing some of these different behavioral traps that are out there. Certainly feel like I'm identifying with a couple of these. So if I'm an investor or somebody listening to the podcast today, and I'm kind of going, oh, man, I'm like guilty of all of these things. Like, how do I rein these in? How do I balance being a human and, and having these natural reactions with sort of making smart financial decisions? You know, how can I, the namesake of the show, retire smarter given the fact that I have the tendency to maybe to fall into some of these traps. So when I was doing some prep work for um, you know the podcast today, I ran into quite a bit of social psychologists, behavioral finance, right? This is the, the realm that we're talking in right now. And I came across this idea of having a prepared mind quite a bit. And it essentially means we deliberately pause and reflect on both our current circumstances and potential paths forward, right? Um, and that prepared mind concept kind of really stuck with me. And I think it's... Um, really helps wade through and identify when we're falling into some of these traps. I mean, I'm a planner at heart, right? So I'm a financial advisor. So it comes to no surprise, I'm sure, to many of the people that know me and that are listening today um, that, you know, I think having a plan or having that prepared mind is really going to help you um, as you're kind of making your decisions and trying to avoid some of these behavioral traps. And really that you should have set times throughout the year where you're you know, kind of talking through your goals, reviewing your investment expectations, and diving into you know some of those key accounts or you know key decisions that you have coming up and how they're going to affect your retirement or whatever goal that you're trying to accomplish. And I think you know our industry or in our company here, True Wealth Design, that's what we're really trying to be, right? That trusted financial advisor that can help you in this effort. You know, we don't know um, what we don't know, uh, and those unknowns often are. What what get us into trouble. So the more conversations that you can have around that um, and the more conversations that you can have that help you really navigate the uncertainty and help you outline those pros and cons and make the best decision for you, whether that has some emotional ties to it or not, that's okay. But at least you're going into it with your eyes wide open and you can kind of understand that, hey, this is the decision that I'm making that's going to put me in the best foot going forward. As always, it helps to have somebody kind of coaching you through pitfalls, helping you avoid these behavioral traps, among all the other uh, retirement planning and financial planning things that we talk about here on the show. And so if you want to get in touch and have a conversation about your specific situation, the best place to start is by going to truewealthdesign.com. And again, click on that Are We Right For You button, and you can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the team. Again, go to truewealthdesign.com and click Are We Right For You to schedule that call. Call. Or you can call the old-fashioned way, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. You can also check the contact info in the description of today's show. 
to make life easy for you. Tyler, I really appreciate the help on the show today, your guidance, and for asking me some, you know, easier questions or like more like just hypothetical situational things. So there wasn't really a wrong answer to some of these. So I like those. <laughs> Kevin's always stumping me or, or catching me off guard with a question out of left field and sometimes throwing math at me and those kinds of things. So you kept it easy. You're welcome back anytime, my friend. You got it. No, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Happy, happy to have the conversation. Well, we'll look forward to chatting with Tyler again on future episodes of Retire Smarter. Thank you again, Tyler. And thank you for listening to the show today. Again, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions for Tyler, Kevin, and the True Wealth Design team. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.